Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Oh, I don't want you to necessarily raise your hands, women, when I ex- talk about this experience that happens next, so please don't raise your hands. But um, how many of you women have found yourself in this situation? It is Thanksgiving, a big family holiday, and you're making all the preparations for the food, you're making all the preparations for a large family gathering, everybody's coming over to your house. And then one of your sisters or sister-in-laws or one of the other women in your family, they come over a little bit earlier to help you with all of the stuff that needs to go on. And so as you begin slaving away in the kitchen, you find out that everybody's left you alone and they've gone into the other room to start talking and they've gone into the other room to start watching football. And so you're all alone in the kitchen slaving away when you thought people were going to be helping you. And then comes time to eat, and everybody sits down to eat, and you begin to serve your family, and they're very demanding, and you have to get up multiple times during the meal to make sure everything's okay. And so you're getting up, and you're serving everybody, and finally it's your time to to eat, and you plop down to eat, and everybody's decided they're done. And so they're in the other room watching football, so you're there by yourself eating Thanksgiving dinner. And then you think to yourself, I'm all alone in here eating Thanksgiving dinner. I've been slaving away. I better get the pies ready. I better get dessert ready. So you go and you rush around to get the desserts ready and everybody comes in and you you serve the desserts and everybody's eating the desserts and next thing you know, they're gone into the other room and you plop down by yourself to eat your pumpkin pie and you think to yourself, this has not been a very good Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, this is not a day of thanks. This is a day of thanklessness. It's a day of frustration. It's a day of exasperation. It's a day of resentment. I've been hurrying around all this time to take care of my family, and they've left me alone to do all the work. I'm not a happy camper. Now, ladies, don't raise your hands if that's ever happened to you before. I said don't raise your hands. So why do I bring up this scenario today? of rushing around trying to get things done and to feed a bunch of people. Well, we're going to see a situation very similar to what may have happened or what happened with two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their contrast could be no greater between these two women. So last week, we saw the parable of the Good Samaritan, And Jesus has told that parable to the lawyer, and now they're moving on to another town. Luke does not tell us the name of the town, but John's gospel tells us that Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were from the town of Bethany. And so let's pick up at the end of chapter 10, and let's read this story about two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. It's a very short passage of scripture, but we see two sisters. And so let's explore the contrast between these two sisters. So let's first explore Martha. Martha probably had the gift of hospitality. The Bible here says she welcomed Jesus into her house. And so hospitality is one of the spiritual gifts. We are to show that. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, we can't fault Martha for wanting to serve Jesus, to want to open her home to Jesus, to show hospitality. I picture her as being kind of a type A personality. She's kind of high strung and she's running around getting all these things done, wanting to make it perfect for Jesus. And so it's right for her to want to serve Jesus, to use her gift of hospitality to serve Jesus. But what we'll find out is it's her attitude. It's her attitude that gets her in trouble. Not the desire to serve, which is noble, but the attitude behind it. So from this text, we see three things about Martha. First, she was anxiously distracted. Anxiously distracted. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. That word in the original language means to be overburdened by distractions to the point of being very worried and very anxious. She's anxiously distracted, making sure that all of the, all the preparations are great for, for Jesus and the disciples. She's distracted. She's anxious. And she's taken her focus off what's the most important thing in that moment, Jesus himself. Now, some people are more task-oriented, and so if you're a task-oriented person, you like to put your head down, you like to get to work, you like to do things, and you don't want to be bothered by other people. So if somebody comes by your office or somebody comes by your, your workplace and they begin to shoot the breeze, it irritates you because you want to get to work. They're cutting into your time. You're a task-oriented person. I don't want to talk to anybody. Just give me the task I've got to do. Others of you may be very people-oriented. You don't care if, you, if somebody stops by and shoots the breeze. As a matter of fact, you think to yourself, oh, we'll get to that project. We'll get to that job. Talking to the person in front of you is more important. You're more of a social butterfly. There's two types of people. Now, I had to learn a lesson early in my youth ministry. When I was a youth pastor at my former church many years ago, I was very task-oriented, and so I would rush around on Wednesday nights trying to make sure that the youth room was set up, the music was set up, I frantically made sure that all the, the supplies were there, and so I was, I was running around with the chicken with my head cut off trying to make sure everything was, was good for the youth, and my, my pastor, my mentor, my senior pastor pulled me aside and said, Sean, you need to slow down, and you need to stop 
and delegate those things and focus on what's most important, the people in front of you. People are more important than the project. And that really revolutionized my ministry from that day forward because I can tend to be very task-oriented. I think that's what Martha is. Martha here is very task-oriented. She's anxious. She's distracted. Now, sin does not have to be these big, flagrant things that are major, grievous sins. You can sin or you can fall into areas of weakness by simply being distracted. Things pulling your focus away from Jesus. So the first thing we see here in Martha is she's anxiously distracted. She's pulled away from the main thing, Jesus. Now, the second thing we see about Martha is this distraction quickly moved to self-pity and criticism. She throws a pity party, and she becomes critical of her sister. Notice what she says in verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Wah, wah, wah. She's throwing a pity party. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that she's out there? And what's she doing anyway? Where, where is Mary? Why isn't she in here helping me in the kitchen? She's left me all alone. I'm in here all by myself. Me, me, me. Woe is me. I'm self-pitying because she's left me all alone, and I'm critical of my sister Mary. So she starts out by being distracted, anxious, and then it turns into self-pity and criticism. And then the third thing we see here, this anxiety and critical spirit turns to bossy resentment. Bossy resentment. Notice what she does. She tells Jesus what to do. Tell her then to help me. She tells the sovereign Lord what he should do. She actually scolds Jesus. Get in there and tell Martha to come help me, Jesus. She's resentful. She's critical. She's self-pitying. She's anxious. So let's ask the question, what was Martha's root sin? This is something you need to know that the Bible teaches. There are root sins and there are fruit sins. It's very easy to see the fruit sins because they grow like a tree where you can see them. They're usually outward actions, words, things that we say. But lying beneath the surface, deep down under the roots, which is a little bit harder to see, are, are really the, the, the root sins that cause the fruit sins to come out. What's her root sin? What's lying deep beneath her heart that's causing her to do these things outwardly? Well, the root sin is anxiety. She's anxious. I mean, it says there, look at verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, when he says Martha, Martha twice, it is a rebuke, but it's a gentle rebuke. It's more of a, of a term of compassion. He's showing compassion to her. Martha, Martha, notice what he says. You are anxious and troubled about many things. 
you're anxious and troubled. Now, in the English translations, those words show up as adjectives. You're anxious, you're troubled. But in the original language, they're present tense verbs, which really get to the heart of what she's doing. She is continually, constantly being anxious. She's being anxious. She's gravely concerned. And she's troubled, continuously troubled. That word means to be emotionally distressed. So she's a continually being emotionally distressed and troubled and anxious. And she's not hiding it. <clears throat> this root anxiety is coming out. It's coming out in a critical spirit. It's coming out in bossiness. It's coming out in self-pity. It's coming out at basically scolding Jesus and her sister. You see, in her mind, Mary wasn't doing anything important. I'm doing the important thing. I'm serving Jesus. What's she doing in there? She's just sitting at his feet. Who knows what she's doing? She's just sitting in there at his feet. She needs to come here and help me in the kitchen. So she had a deep root of anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We read this during our time of confession when Russell, one of our elders, led us through this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How often do we have deep-seated anxiety and anxiousness where we run around trying to, to do things and to make sure things are perfect and we get so anxious and that anxiety leads to being critical or sulking and having a pity party or being bossy. We need to be very careful as a church family in this area those of us that volunteer in ministry, those of us that have a ministry, those of us that serve here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, it can become very easy to look around and think that you're the only one doing anything. And why aren't other people helping? And why aren't other people volunteering? And I'm the only one that's doing ministry. And you can become very resentful and very critical. And you can begin to play a little pity party on yourself. Like, why isn't everybody else serving the way I think they should be serving? And so you started out serving the Lord with a sincere desire to serve the Lord. But what it's done is it's turned into you look around and you start to compare yourself to everybody else. And it, becomes, it begins to turn into resentment or into a critical spirit. And so we need to protect ourselves, especially those of us. And let me just say this. In church life, there's the 80-20 rule. You know what the 80-20 rule is? Or the 20-80 rule? 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. So there's a small group of people that are doing a lot of ministry in the larger life of the church. And sometimes that small group of people can get burnt out. Um, they can get frustrated. And we have to really protect ourselves that we don't have a critical spirit and think that we're the only ones that are serving. Now, Martha quickly moved from serving to barking orders at Jesus. Now, think about what she did. The text doesn't come right out and say it. But what does she do? She interrupts Jesus' teaching. I mean, Jesus is teaching Martha. I mean, teaching Mary. And 
she comes in and interrupts Jesus' teaching. So not only does she interrupt Jesus' teaching, but she interrupts that moment for her sister to hear the word of the Lord. She was so concerned about herself being left alone to do all the work that she got distracted off the main issue, being with Jesus. And she intruded upon her sister's time and Jesus' time. She was so busy trying to serve Jesus that she lost sight of the need to be with Jesus. Again, her ser- no, there's nothing wrong about her serving. It was her attitude and her priorities and the fact that she was anxious and distracted. So that's Martha, anxiously distracted, resentful, bossy, critical, self-pitying. Now let's contrast that with Mary. We see two things, two things in Mary that are very interesting. First of all, she sat at the feet of Jesus in humble submission. Look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Now, in that culture, that ancient culture, to sit at a rabbi's feet meant that you were a disciple. Even Paul sat at the feet of his rabbi, the Acts tells us. So to sit at the feet of a rabbi meant that you were a disciple. And what was radical was that women were not really allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi. That was reserved only for men. So the very fact that Jesus is allowing Mary to sit at his feet and learn meant that Jesus was elevating the dignity of women in that culture. A dignity that they did not have by the other rabbis. Other rabbis probably would have shooed them away and said, no, this is only for men. You can't sit and listen. Galatians 3.28 says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So she is sitting at Jesus' feet in humble submission, and she's a disciple. But number two, what else does verse 39 say? She listened to his teaching. Secondly, Mary also listened eagerly. If you study the original text, the original language, the way Luke writes it, it's it's an intensity. She's absorbing everything that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. There's an intensity. She's, She's hanging on his every word. She's listening intently to everything that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. So let's talk to the women of Emmanuel for a moment. What does this tell us, women of Emmanuel? What does this tell us with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning as a disciple? Well, it tells us, women of Emmanuel, that we need to have sound theology and we need to be discipled and that women need to be strong in the faith. I have a grave concern I don't know all of it, but a lot of the materials and resources and podcasts and ministries that are geared towards women out there are fluffy at best and heretical at worst. There's a lot of things geared towards women that are not healthy. And so the women of Emmanuel, we need to, 
have you sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary to learn the true word of Christ and be strong in your faith. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, men and women, boys and girls, we all need to do what Mary did. We all need to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. Now you say, well, how does that happen today? He's not physically here. How do I sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, let me give you two primary ways you can do this. And they come historically by what has been called the means of grace. Um, we've been doing a catechism with our kids on Sunday mornings with the Baptist catechism. But the Westminster catechism, that's what the Presbyterians used. Um, question 89 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. How is the word made effective for salvation? How is the word? And this is the answer to that catechism question. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and convicting sinners of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The reading, but especially the preaching of the word, to build you up in faith. So how do you sit at the feet of Jesus? There are two primary ways. The first is called the private means of grace. Okay, private, the private means of grace. This is your, some people call it daily quiet time. This is your personal devotion. This is the time where you spend time alone with Jesus in prayer, in Bible study, in Bible meditation, where you are alone with nobody else and you're studying, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're spending time alone with Jesus. Do you have a plan to do this daily? Do you, all of us, spend time alone with Jesus on a daily basis, you and him alone, with your Bible open, in prayer, having that daily private time with Jesus where you're saturating yourself in the scriptures? That's the private means of grace. Your private, personal, daily devotion. But the second way you grow and the second way you sit at the feet of Jesus is what's historically been called the public means of grace. And that's what you're doing right here on a Sunday morning. You're gathering publicly under the preaching of the word. And, and this may sound weird to you, but coming here on Sunday morning sitting under preaching is actually more important than your daily private time, your daily quiet time. And you may say, well, that sounds kind of weird. I've always heard my quiet time is the most important thing. I'm not saying it's not important, but there's something powerful and special that happens when we gather together as God's people under the preaching of the word. Because here's what happens in a Sunday morning that doesn't happen by yourself. I've spent all week as your pastor in the text studying, praying, thinking about how I'm going to feed you a sermon. So that when you come here, you're being fed God's word from a pastor who loves you. And you're being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. And we're all gathering together to sing God's word, to pray God's word, and to hear God's word preached. And so it's very important, it's very vital that we gather together on the Lord's Day morning to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his teaching that comes through a pastor who's prepared to preach God's word. In addition to your private time that you spend alone with Jesus as well. But here's the problem we have in our culture today. We live in a culture that doesn't want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. We want to set the agenda. 
And we want to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we'll obey. We want to do all the talking. We want to control Jesus, tell him what to do like Martha did when she said, Jesus, go tell her to help me. So what's the contrast between these two sisters? Martha was anxious. Martha was self-critical, self-pitying, resentful, rushing around, distracted. Mary, on the other hand, was submissive. She was at the feet of Jesus. She was learning. She was a disciple. She was hanging on his every word. She was a true disciple of Christ who loved Jesus in that moment and was ready to receive his word. Now we need to be careful that we don't set up a dichotomy. Some people set up a dichotomy here and say, you know, you, you really should only be like a Mary. All that's important in the Christian life is to, is to just basically have your personal quiet time and to be contemplative and to basically just kind of be introspective and spend all time alone with Jesus as opposed to serving the Lord like Martha did. We don't want people serving. We don't need to serve and do action. We need to be all alone with Jesus. Both of these are taught in the Bible. But here's the importance. It's the order of how they come. Spending time with Jesus should take priority over doing things for Jesus. Got to have both. You need to do things for Jesus, but you also need to spend time with Jesus. And there needs to be a balance between both. There's a time and a place for a Martha where you need to serve the Lord, and you need to do, and you need to get up and go. And there's a time where you're married, and you're spending time with the Lord, but your energy to do things for Jesus comes from that time that you spend alone with Jesus. You see, there are two extremes in the Christian life. If we're not careful, we can fall into these these traps. The first ditch or the first extreme is excessive contemplation. Excessive spending time in prayer where you are basically just insulated and, and you never really do anything for Jesus. You're just always kind of alone and you're just kind of soaking in things and, and getting personal Bible study and you're never giving it away. That's one extreme. In the mid-90s, my father was a church planner in northeastern Colorado Springs and this church, and I was the worship leader at the time, this church met in an elementary school that was in a growing community of houses being built. And my dad had a real heart that this church, because it's growing fast and it's in an elementary school, we need to reach out to these houses that are being built and we need to reach out to the community and we need to do evangelism and we need to go in and try to do effective outreach to these houses and these people that are moving in. Well, the elders of the church and some of the key members said, now wait a minute. We need to pray about this. Let's pray and wait upon the Lord and see what he tells us. So they prayed, and they prayed, and that turned into months, and that turned into a year, and that turned into my dad being very frustrated because what was happening was they were using that as an excuse to not do evangelism. Let's just pray about it. Let's just pray. Let's just wait for God to give us an answer. And my dad said, we don't need to wait. Open your eyes, church. The fields are widened to harvest. God's called us to do evangelism. We don't have to make this over-spiritualizing what we're doing here. We need to reach the community for Christ. And so that really frustrated my dad because there was a mentality of, of not getting up and doing anything. Let's just wait and pray. Wait on the Lord and pray. So that's one potential danger. The second potential danger is you serve Jesus simply because it's a duty. You do it out of obligation. 
There's no joy. You, you, come, you, you become like Martha. You serve, but you're serving with an attitude of resentment. You're serving with an attitude of competition. You're serving with an attitude of self-pity. You've got a critical spirit. You're serving with the wrong motives. You see, Jesus calls us to both. He calls us to a life of communion with him through that, that sitting at his feet learning, but he also calls us to serve and to get busy and to actively serve him. But really, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue in verses 41 and 42. Listen to what he says. How does he close this? Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. There's only one thing that matters. And Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary's chosen correctly. She understands that one thing. Phil Riken has said this, while Martha was preparing one meal, Mary was having another, better meal. She was feeding on the living word. Literally, it's, it should be she, she chose the better portion, the better portion. She chose the better portion. Now, what does this word portion mean? You come to the end of this and like, okay, Mary chose the better portion. What's portion? What does that word mean? It's a great Old Testament word that Jesus uses here because it takes us back to the Psalms and some of those Old Testament passages. A portion was like a meal, but it was also like an inheritance or land or possessions. But as I read these Old Testament passages, I want you to see who is the portion or what is the portion in these Old Testament passages. Psalm 16.5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord is my chosen portion. Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? <clears throat> There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my portion forever. The Lord is my chosen portion. Psalm 142.5, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you're my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my portion forever. And then Lamentations 3.22-25, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. In every one of those Old Testament passages, who's the portion? Is it a meal? Is it a possession? Is it land? No, it's the Lord. The Lord is my portion. Do you hear the intensity of the psalmist? It's like he's saying, the Lord is my meal. The Lord is my sustenance. The Lord is my hope. The Lord is my life. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my satisfaction. The Lord is my, pass my passion. The Lord is everything I want. The Lord is everything I need. The Lord alone satisfies me as my portion. In the Jewish synagogue of that day, 
If you were to ask the rabbis and the religious leaders, what's the portion? What's the good portion? They would answer the Old Testament law. Study the Old Testament law. That's the good portion. The religious leaders of the day. But Jesus doesn't point Mary back to the law. He is the living word standing before here, giving her his teaching, his word. And so here's the point. The good portion. The greatest inheritance. The greatest joy. The the one thing that's necessary is Jesus himself. Is Christ himself. Not serving Jesus, but him serving us. There's a time and place to serve Jesus, but it's more important for him to serve us, to love us, to shepherd us, to serve us, that he is our portion. Notice what Jesus says about this portion. The end of verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, what does it mean it's not going to be taken away from her? She's chosen correctly. She's chosen wisely. She's chosen the better portion. She's chosen Christ himself. And it's not going to be taken away from her. I take this to mean that he's going to eternally make sure that she perseveres to the end. If Jesus saved Mary by grace alone, he's going to make sure that she endures to the end by grace alone. This is none other than eternal security. Mary was a true disciple. Mary was a sheep that was given to Jesus by the Father. Listen to what Jesus says about a sheep in John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep, this is Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Just stop right there. If you're a sheep this morning, it's because you've heard the voice of Jesus, and you followed him. He's called to you, and you've heard his voice. And what does Jesus promise to those who follow him, to those who hear his voice? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who gives them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand Mary was a sheep and she was given eternal life by her shepherd Jesus she was sitting at the feet of her shepherd Jesus and because the father gave her to Jesus as a sheep before the foundation of the world in sovereign election she will endure to the end that portion will not be taken away from her because Jesus holds her in his grip and no one can snatch her out of his hand and that goes for all Christ's sheep What hope is in this truth? If you're sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his words, if you're hearing the voice of your shepherd, if you're following him, that means you're a sheep. That means he loves you. That means he's your shepherd. That means you've chosen the good portion. That means that you've been given to Jesus by the Father. That means you're eternally secure. It means that he's never going to let you out of his grip. He's going to hold you fast to the end that portion would not be taken away from her, that security, that salvation, Christ himself would not be taken away 
from Mary. Martha was anxious, critical, self-pitying, resentful. Mary was submissive, a learner, eager to spend time at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word. So I'm just going to ask you a very simple question. What will you choose? Mary chose the better portion. Will you choose the better portion? And what's the better portion? Christ himself as your greatest treasure. Christ himself is your greatest hope. Christ himself is your greatest joy. Christ himself as your greatest satisfaction. My prayer for all of us is that we would leave this place having chosen the better portion because we have had the vision of Christ as we sang earlier, Be Thou My Vision, set before us in this text where in our heart of hearts we would desire to sit before his feet in submission and learn from our shepherd, hear the voice of our shepherd, follow our shepherd because he is the better portion. Not the things necessarily Jesus gives you, which are great, but Christ himself. The Lord is my portion forever. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are my hope. You are my refuge. You are my portion forever. What will you choose? I pray it's the better portion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. I've been sitting here this morning singing these songs or trying, not really singing, but listening because I can't sing with my voice. But just thinking about the songs that we're singing this morning. And then coming up here to preach. It can be very easy to go through the motions. You come to church on a Sunday morning, you you know the routine, you sing the songs, you hear the message. But Lord, I'm convicted that there are many times when you're not my portion. You're not my treasure. You're not the sole focus of my heart. I'm distracted by many things. I'm anxious. I'm more like Martha than I am like Mary. And the Bible here says one thing is necessary. And that one thing is to sit at your feet, Jesus, and to listen. And to be submissive. And to soak in your word. And to spend time with you. We don't talk like this because it's an ancient language of portion. We don't talk like you're my portion. We don't use that terminology. Jesus, I want you to be my joy, my, my all. I think that's the prayer for everybody in here that's a true believer. So, Lord, would you please forgive us of the distractions that come into our hearts, that the way that we're anxious, the way that we may be critical of others, the way that we may be self-pitying, sulking, resentful, And will we find in you our greatest treasure? 
that you would be the joy of our hearts, you would be the joy of our minds, that our whole life would be consumed by you, Jesus, as the better portion. There's so many things in this life we can choose to do, to fill our minds with, to watch, to, to hear, to, to engage in. Some evil, some not evil, but maybe just distracting. Would we leave this place with a great desire to have you, Jesus, as our better portion, as our all in all, as the king of our hearts? Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you this week, Jesus, for your glory alone. And we ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.